Episode 10 of Up From The Ashes Bad Sci-Fi TV with big sci-fi ideas. Today's episode originally airing on CTV, November 23rd, 1973. Mr. Smith of Manchester, directed by Joseph Scanlon, written by Arthur Henneman and Norman Klenman, starring our usual trio and guest starring Ed Ames, Pat Galloway, Doris Petrie, and Les Ruby. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Up From The Ashes. I'm Ben, Ben Avery, and this is a podcast where we take a look at something that some people call the worst sci-fi show of all time. They're wrong, but how wrong are they? I wouldn't say they're terribly wrong. They're just wrong. Today, we are going to be talking about Mr. Smith of Manchester. And when I say we, I mean me, Ben, Ben Avery, and I mean my friend, John Haru. And John, welcome to the podcast. This studio looks a lot different than the Strangers and Aliens studio. I'm not not, going to lie. It's... It doesn't. It doesn't have that freshly Steve used feeling to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. John, if you haven't picked up, has appeared with me on my other podcast, Strangers and Aliens, a number of times. He's a regular guest host to come on and talk about movies. Sometimes good movies, sometimes bad movies, sometimes both in the same episode because we've taken a look at some franchises like The Fly and The Thing from Another World, and sometimes both for the same movie. Yeah, that's true, too. That's true, too. He's also the host of a pod. Well, one of the hosts of a podcast called The Bottom Shelf. And he's also the the GM of a podcast called Playing Games with Strangers, which is a live play, role playing, clean role playing uh, podcast. John, welcome. I'm so glad that you (laughs) were able to jump on with me because... I just thought this would be good fodder for you and uh, your your experience with uh, the bottom shelf. You know, and I think I think my experience with the bottom shelf ha- is going to have given me an irregular experience with with uh, this show. I but we'll 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 get to that. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. So the bottom shelf. Just briefly tell people what the bottom shelf is about and why I might have thought it was a good match for what we're doing here. The bottom shelf, we intentionally watch movies that have critically been received as being terrible. Um, some movies would be that we have watched have been Plan 9 from Outer Space, as any bad movie podcast should start with. Um, we have done uh, s- s- Battleship Earth, I think that's what it's called. You mean uh, um, the L. Ron Hubbard Battlefield Earth? Yeah. Yes, and uh, we, but basically, we 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 take these movies that have been panned and are commonly received as being bad, and try to determine are, are they as bad as people say they are. And usually, yes, but we've we, we've come <laughs> across a few. Like I enjoyed Battlefield Earth to the point where I actually bought myself a copy on Blu-ray. That's a step further than I would have gone for sure. I actually, I actually want the sequel that John Travolta wants to make. So, now, did you go so far as to read the book? I have not because I don't okay. think me and L. Ron Hubbard's writing style will get along. And this, this is even outside of 
the whole Scientology and Dianetics stuff. This is, it's more just, I've heard he can be very long and dry and I, I can't, I, I have one Frank Peretti in my life. I don't need another. So two summers ago, I watched the movie just to revisit and say, was it as bad as people say? And then I was like, well, I might as well check out the audiobook from my library. So I did. And I've been, yeah. And I've been tempted to go the free route and do that, but it's just, I don't know. Steve almost disowned me once when I told him that that I enjoyed when we watched it for the bottom shelf. So, and the Steve that he's referring to is Steve McDonald, who is also from my other podcast, strangers and aliens. Well, out outside of, outside of that, let's talk about the actual show we're supposed to talk about because I have responses to (laughs) All that sentiment right there, but we have to talk about the show first before what I have to say about it makes any sense. So before we talk about the show, here is what we are doing on this podcast. We are taking a look at these old things, this old 50-year-old TV show. People call it the worst. We're raising it up from the ashes. That's partly where the title comes from. It also comes from the pilot episode being called Phoenix Without Ashes when it was originally written. They changed the title, but... We're lifting up from the ashes to decide, does it deserve to come out from the ashes? Or does it deserve to be forgotten in the ashes of time? And so far, we've been having some fun. We've been having some fun. I'm really curious what your response is going to be because, well, I mean, that's our first question for most of my guests. Briefly, what's your previous awareness? What's your previous experience with the Star Lost? Nothing. Zero, zilch, nada, yet nine. It's almost like negative zero or the square root of dividing by zero. That's how much awareness I had of this show uh, until you brought it to my attention saying, hey, I have the show and, you know, maybe one of you guys over at the bottom shelf would be interested. And I'm like, me guest on a podcast, I can't say no to that. But I, yeah, uh, up up until just the general awareness that you that you put in front of me, uh, in regards to guesting on this episode, nothing at all. And so, one of the things I say when I tell people what you're going to be doing on this podcast is I give you the homework assignment, and the passing grade is watch your episode. If you don't watch your episode, then obviously, I mean, what are we doing here? But, right. uh, you know, extra credit would be, hey, listen to the first episode of the podcast so you know where it came from. Or, mm. you know, you can listen to one of the episodes of the podcast so that you know exactly, you know, what's going on. You could also watch other episodes of the show. I don't require any of that. And mm-hmm. part of that is because, like we did with Carrie Neats in our last episode, uh, we were able to have a conversation where he came to it with very little knowledge. He did not even watch the pilot episode before he watched his episode. And so he was able to come into it without knowing anything. And others have watched the pilot episode and their episode. And then one person been watched the whole series before we recorded about her topic. But um, yeah, that's so- amazing. I, 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 whoever that was out there, I want to just, I applaud you. <laughs> that's actually, the- there were that's, there were two or three episodes some, she hadn't gotten to when we started recording, but still, yeah. that's that's dedication. Yeah, no, she there. she really enjoyed it and she had time. So, I like the diversity though because I like being able to talk about this with people who are like, oh yeah, well, when they started the show, this was the premise and there was so much promise, blah 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 blah. But then there's also someone like you who 
if you sat down on a Saturday afternoon and you're flipping channels and there's a show that starts and for whatever reason you chose to stay on that channel, I guess, let me ask you that. What would have caused you to stay on the channel and would you have turned the channel if you weren't recording a podcast about it? Uh, what would have caused me to stay on there? Um, it would have been, and, and this is going to sound so, this is going to sound so shallow, but it's the facts. Um, it's the crappy graphic that they put up right before they go to a commercial with the title of the show on it. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. With the, with the fanfare, the I love that. I love that so much. Like if, if I catch that out in the wild, like that's the fastest way to make me stick around through the commercials to find out what the show is that has channeled that inner cartoon USA cartoon express feeling that they just <laughs> gave me with that pre-commercial stinger. So you wouldn't have changed the channel if you were just flipping channels and came across it. Oh God, no. Yeah. yeah no, you know, that... and let's face facts, me either. I mean, like I love this kind of thing. I love this show. I get that there's some bad episodes, but at the same time, you got lucky, my friend, because spoiler alert for everyone, this is one of the best episodes of the series. Oh no. Mm-hmm. Oh no! <laughs> uh, take it for what it's worth, but it's we'll get into why I just said oh no. I'm sure, but I don't. I don't know if there's going to be a spoiler organ. No, or... no, we we are just talking about it. There is no. Oh, um, we are. Yeah, yeah. Okay, from the beginning. So I can. I yeah. I I can I can start with my general impression right oh, yeah, now. Yeah. Then so and he's, the spoiler oh, organ okay. that John's talking about comes from Welcome to Level Seven and Strangers and Aliens where a lot of the episodes John is on, we're talking about movies that are fairly fresh. And so we will oftentimes talk about the movie uh, in general terms and then play a spoiler organ, which is a warning to people that we're going to spoil the plot and stuff. Uh, but that's not here. We are talking okay. about it as if people are following along on YouTube or are never going to follow along. And gotcha. so, yeah. yeah. Uh, then, then I will say, cause like my, my approach to the show Okay, so now now that I know what level of open I can be at this point. Uh, yeah. Hello, everybody. Let me <laughs> let me dialogue in the way I should have been up to this point. Um, so the way I wanted to approach this show, because uh, I knew I was coming into a later episode, um, and I wanted to approach it in the same way that like I would if I was new to any show out there uh, that I hadn't experienced or even heard of from this era, which would be, I would be flipping through the channels. It would probably be some rerun on syndicated sci-fi space or TBS uh, on a, at four 30 on a Sunday afternoon um, instead of having something like a infomercial or whatever. And so I wanted to come into it saying, asking the question, will I understand what the plot is that I need to know for the show based off of the context cues that they give me? Um, and two, will I enjoy it without having had any fanfare of the previous episodes? And the answer is yes for both resoundingly. So you knew what was um, going on because of, well, I mean, there's the voiceover narration at the beginning. Right, that but helps, even out but... even outside of that, there were there were there were certain things that I didn't understand from the initial narrative 
um, that I picked up via context cues, just sitting and watching the whole episode. Um, there wasn't really any, at no, at no point did I feel like I was lost at all when I was watching this. I'm like, this is, this is how you do successful serial storytelling in an environment where playback is not an option for people who have missed episodes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, this was, <clears throat> if I remember, if I remember right, the air date of this was in 73, yep. Se- yep. Okay. 50 years ago. Exactly. So yeah. 73. Okay. So in 1973, um, you, you know, you didn't have VCRs to even record, let alone on demand services to be like, I missed an episode. Gotta go back. Um, so it it wasn't uncommon to miss an episode because life happens. And I, even then back in the eighties, when it was my heyday, um, you know, life didn't revolve around the TV. You had other things going on and you didn't always get the must see TV stuff. So back then every episode, you had the reset button where you're starting mm-hmm. over a new episode. And so star Trek, if, the main cast is alive at the beginning of the episode. The main cast is alive at the end of the episode. And the next episode, they're going to be just starting off as if you just are meeting them for the first time. Yeah, so that's why I was curious, though, because you coming in completely fresh, you don't even know what the concept is. So you're able to follow it. You're able to understand. you got these three characters. They're our main characters. Um, mm-hmm. and, and you're able to understand pretty much what's going on with their mission, what they're trying to do. Right. Yeah, okay. Yes, sir. All right. They're going to go into a star, and if they, and if they don't get to where they need to get to, then everyone's going to die. Solar star, that's what he calls it. And that's why Ben Bova, another science fiction writer who is the science consultant for this show, he mm-hmm. has his name taken off the show after this episode, I think it is, because they didn't listen to <laughs> any of his notes. He gave notes on every single script that they sent him, which was every single script that they did, as far as I'm aware. And they did not listen to one thing he said. And he finally was able to get his name off the the end credits. He was on for this episode. I think this is the last one. We'll know next episode if it was or not. But all right. Well, let's let's talk about the episode. So Mr. Smith of Manchester is about a man named Mr. Smith from a dome called Manchester. Well, who is he and what is this dome? Well, we're going to find out in just a moment because... Our trio, normally, we get some long tracking shots of them, like, finding a door. In this one, we actually begin in the middle of the action. They're, they've they been captured off screen. We don't get to see them captured. They just walk into the first scene with shackles around their wrists and necks. They have been captured. They are struggling against their bonds. And honestly, this is the most interesting opener of any episode we've had so far. Wait, wait, they didn't get captured at the end of the last episode. No, no, this is episodic. So this is, this is not serialized. Like this is every episode is a dome of the week or is supposed to be. They, they don't really visit too many domes, but yeah, I, I'm just, I, I don't know. I guess I'm just a little bit shocked because like the way it was presented when I started watching it, I, I had thought they were giving me like shots from the previous episode with them being captured and leading up to them struggling before their new overlords. No. And so I'm like, Hey, this is, this is some pretty slick. Hey, give them a shot of last week to remind you before we get into it. No doctor who this is not, this is, 
uh, just this episode, they were captured and, <laughs> but that's the, I mean, the, the, the general concept as it was created was be, would be that they would travel from dome to dome to dome. And every episode was a new dome. They'd go to one mm-hmm. and they leave it by the end of the episode. And then they go to the next one. Some of the episodes ended up being about the hallway between the tomes or an office that they found or whatever, where people have been staying. But the general idea is they're traveling around the ship and every single episode is just a new location as they travel. Hmm. You know, it's the traveling do-gooder. It's Knight Rider. It's the A-Team. It's it's uh, the Fugitive. But okay. yeah. And the whole idea would have been like the Fugitive the last episode would be resolving their problem. But every episode up until then is them. We've got a problem. We need to get help. And yeah, no, there was, that's why for me, this is a great opening because, oh, there's something happening. Like there's actually like, we're starting with action. I, it, it, you know, oh, I thought well of it because it was giving me a recap. So I guess it, it <laughs> fooled me. Yep. Yeah. So you're flipping channels and you're like, oh, this is episode nine, chapter nine. <laughs> it's just no. In fact, this is out of order too. Like the last two episodes, <clears throat> oh, good. the last two episodes were filmed after this one. So yeah. Great. <laughs> so we're going, we're, we're taking the, we're taking the, uh, serenity route then. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So they are believed to be spies. And the problem is no one knows how they got into this dome because the people in this dome can't get out of this dome. And the leader of this dome is called Mr. Smith. And he is suspicious. He thinks they might be part of a fifth column sent to infiltrate, gather information. And he puts them in an information gathering machine, which causes them great pain, but makes them tell the truth. And then when it's done, they feel very relaxed. (laughs) And they don't remember anything that happened. So it's actually like a perfect mental torture kind of thing because the person you're torturing doesn't even know that you did this. They think they just had a massage or something in that chair. (laughs) They sort of believe their story then that they're going and traveling around. They don't even have any weapons, although Garth does carry around his crossbow. But there is no military outside. There is no one trying to get inside to attack them. They are not there to spy on this place, which we'll talk about why they need to spy in a moment here. They kind of believe. And Trent, Mr. Smith's assistant, she does believe it. But she also, she doesn't like the fact that she has to torture them. She has feelings about her part in this. And... Mr. Smith has suspicions about her that maybe she's a traitor. They find out that the dome creates a lot of pollution as they are creating weapons. They are building weapons. They are a factory dome that is meant to build weapons. And they've been doing this since they were cut off after the dome wars. So sometime after the dome wars, which is is the only the second time we've heard about the dome wars, but it's just such a fascinating concept that I wish we get more out of it. Can I just say, yeah, can I just say, I I would watch a TV show, and a, a series that is just about the Dome Wars. Oh, definitely, definitely. I, I, like I want that because because you can't do strategic nuking because you're going to destroy the entire spaceship for everybody. So it's mutually assured destruction at that point. So, like the idea of it, it would be completely subterfuge and espionage based warfare and close quarters combat 
I mean, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, and by the way, have you talked about the, uh, in your description, have you talked about the stockpile yet? Not yet. Not yet. We're getting there. We're getting there. So what they tell our trio, Garth and Devin and Rachel, is that they can't even blow open the doors because it's made out of the hardest alloy. Like they're making weapons, but they have been trapped in this dome and they can't do a thing about it. And so they've kept the industrial machine running, which does create pollution inside their own dome. The trio does tell them there's no military threat outside. You don't have to worry about this. So Mr. Smith is like, okay, that sounds good. And he seems to be a generally congenial man. Like he's a friendly guy now and he's on their side. He's nice. And then they talk to Trent as they get taken to their quarters. Trent talks to them. She believes they're telling the truth. And she starts talking about how her dome is built on ignorance and it's built on madness and it's built on lies and it's built on paranoid isolation. They've been building weapons for a war that will never happen. And they have been building these weapons on the the basis of the good intentions of security. But while she's talking to them, guards come in and ruthlessly take her away. Ben? I, I I gotta ask, was, was it just me or was that whole everything you just described there <clears throat> just kind of a underhanded commentary on the state of the Cold War at that given time? Cold War, definitely. Vietnam War, maybe even a little bit. But mm. yeah, no, it, it absolutely was. And I mean, frankly, this is sci-fi can be really good at this. You know, you get a couple episodes of Star Trek that are really good at, you know, commentary on the Vietnam War with like uh, a a private little war, I think is what it's called. And the Mark of Gideon is another one that's about, you know, environmental issues. You know, Star Trek did did that well. Twilight Zone did that well. This is the first episode of the Star Lost where I feel like they are actually trying to dive into that kind of a thing. And yeah, they're definitely making a commentary on environmentalism, the Cold War. Like I said, maybe a little mm-hmm. bit of Vietnam War even. They're going there. They're saying something. However, yeah. they're saying it in this show. And so you know, what what are people picking up? I don't know. But um, yeah. And from here, we go to your favorite part of the show, which is the the sounder and the graphic. And we're cutting to commercial. So I love that so much. <laughs> like, seriously, that's a part of television that I miss dearly. I don't know. Do you like it still as well when they would do um, chips? We'll be right back after these messages. Even still, that's amazing. Like it, it, it's, it's at least respecting me enough to be like, Hey, don't go away. <laughs> you know, to be like, Hey, we're in positioning you watch this. This is what pays the bills. So this first act I'm, I'm drawn in. Like we've got obviously a guy who's a villain. And who, once he realizes that these guys, he's, he's impressed. If they've been programmed against interrogation the way that they have, he's impressed. Mm -hmm. But he flips the switch. He starts acting nice. He's like, you know, we'll send engineers with you. Um, They will go out with you. If if you show us the way out, I'll send engineers with you and they can help you. There's, there's deceit going on here. There's uh, characters who have secrets against each other. I mean, it's just, this is decent drama that we've got going on here. Yeah. And, and honestly, some of our commercial breaks in some of the other episodes 
aren't the greatest of cliffhangers, this is a nice one. The person who's actually on their side, she's taken. This is a good commercial break. They're making some decent television here. The longer and longer I watched this episode, the more I was getting concerned that I was watching the good episode. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Cause I, I, cause I'm like, Ben brought me onto this because this is supposed to be a little bit trash, but I'm watching this and it's like, yeah, the acting is not great. And Lord knows that the, uh, that the effects and, and, uh, um, costuming budget were probably shoestring on a good day. Um, but yeah, it, it still held my attention really well. And I'm like, was this just called bad because of the budgetary issues that are obvious here? So <laughs> one of the reasons why it's called bad is because I would say maybe half the episodes are actually, they're kind of boring. Like not, oh. I shouldn't say half the episodes, but so one of the episodes that they bumped up in the schedule had Walter Koenig on it with Chekhov from Star Trek. And I feel like the reason mm-hmm. they did that was because people are going to tune in for a Star Trek guy. It's a, this is a star show, you know, this is a, a show with the word star in it. And then that episode was just boring. It just wasn't, there was no. nothing fun to it, you know? And it just, it just didn't, didn't capture me. Like th- that was the one episode that we've watched so far where I'm just like, I don't want to watch this a second time to make notes. This is, <laughs> I, and I forced myself to, but this one I was actually looking forward to watching the second time because, and mm-hmm. again, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's Stockholm syndrome, you know, where I'm like, ah, this is well, here's good. The thing, I, 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 I'm, I'm stuck no, no, here. No, know, no, but. because Ben, this is, this is my first one. And I'm like, Hey, this is interesting. And like my compulsion right now is to say, I want to buy the series and watch the rest of it. And but now I'm concerned that I saw the good episode and then I'm going to turn around and buy the rest of it and be just like, really? I, I can guarantee no matter what, if you do that, there are going to be some times when you are going to go, really? But there's also some gold. There's some gold. And it's the, like what you would say, you know, trashy, so bad it's good kind of a thing uh, mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. you're just like... You, Sometimes you'll be laughing at it. Sometimes like this episode, I'm not laughing at this episode. There's maybe some places to poke fun here for this episode, but far, far fewer than in, in other ones. And and the other thing is I, I kid because I love, you know, like this is a show that I actually genuinely love. But this episode it hits all the right heartstrings yeah. of of the the era that it was made in. Like they're doing four camera soundstage stuff here. Like this is like this is like th- this was recorded in a very similar way. Like they used to do Cheers on a four camera soundstage, um, or uh, you know any of those '80s sitcoms. Except it, it except it was. It, some of the techniques they were using were a bit more towards how they did soap operas. Yeah. Well, so what what they're but, doing here is, is like a bottle episode of, of a space show where it's like, we, mm-hmm. we already have the sets built for the entire ship for this one. Mm-hmm. They're adjusting things, but they've got the same basic sets. And if they ever do any kind of on location, it's green screen for this episode. Yeah. That's another thing that really helps this episode there's hardly any green screen 
because most of this <laughs> is in. Oh boy, there was. <laughs> Sorry. Well, ahead. I mean, there's some, but and we need to talk about the miniatures. We we need to talk about the yeah. city because it's it's. Uh, I'm just. You brought up the green screen, bro, and you can't talk about the green screen without talking about the truth machine that they stuck well, in there and yeah, all the green right. screening that they did for that. <laughs> Where it's just colors and lights. It, it was the Pink Floyd concert. Yeah, that's what yeah. it was. It was the Doctor Who intro. Yeah. Is, is, yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about Act 2. The trio, they right. now want to find a way out. And Devin goes to talk to Smith. And he's Dr. Smith or not Dr. Smith, <laughs> different show, a uh, different space show. Uh, Mr. Smith has models of tanks on his table as Devin comes to talk to him. And Smith does everything he can to present a positive front. He even shows then Devin war plans to present the idea that Trent is a traitor. She drew up war plans to take over the Ark. And Devin says, I want to talk to her. I want to talk to her. And so he gets security clearance to go and visit Trent in her cell where she's tied up. When he talks to Trent, he finds out that her husband had been put in the outer city and she accepted it. And she rationalized it because their, their whole value is loyalty above all. And then she realized she reveals that yes, she did indeed draw up those plans even as she had doubts as she was doing it, but she was going to get a promotion from this. And in the end, she tells him, you need to get out. But he says, no, no, no. You've got three friends now. You've got three friends. You're coming with us. And he leaves. Meanwhile, Rachel and Garth, they, this is where they find boxes of armaments. They find actual tanks. They find that the computer terminal is there, but hasn't been used in forever. And then they find the outer city. They go through what's called an iris. It's sliding doors side by side. So not really an iris, but, uh, and they open it and they go out into the outer city. People out there are hurting. They're dying in pollution and it's because of their factories. And a dead collector comes out asking to <laughs> bring out your dead, bring out your dead. <laughs> And Rachel and Garth can barely survive. They, they, they fall. The smoke and the pollution causes them to not be able to breathe. And another pretty decent cliffhanger for the commercial break. And we get your fanfare and the graphic. They needed someone in the background during the bring out your dead. That was smacking the cat <laughs> for the full effect. Just the bring out your dead. <laughs> bring out your Francisco. Francisco, if you're out there listening to this, that is 100% for your benefit, by the way. I did check because I couldn't remember what year Holy Grail came out. Holy Grail was 77. Star Lost did not steal from Monty Python from a pop culture side of things. They did it because it was mm. historical. It was a historical thing that people did. And so it's the same source that the Star Lost and Monty Python were drawing from if star lost had been 1978, I would have said they're riffing on Monty Python, but they are totally not. Well, congratulations, star lost. You, you were able to incorporate some original element into the show. It is a moment though. Like, first of all, it's a pop culture moment. If you're familiar with Monty Python, but I was, I was shocked. Like, wait, wait a minute. No, they're going there. 
they're going there. And this is where they're making their commentary on pollution and on the factory and on the war machine that must be continue turning and must continue rolling. And we must continue producing at whatever cost. And we're going to talk about a speech that Smith has later, but they have to do this at any cost. And so Garth and Rachel, they just can't even handle the, the air. They go unconscious and it's, it's a decent, another, another decent commercial break here. But between Devin going off on his own I and, and talking to Smith and talking to Trent, we're getting the details from him. But then we see and we experience the outer city. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's. I wish they would have shown us what the baby looked like that the girl was also horrified uh, about. I think it's better that they didn't. I think the horror that you don't see is oftentimes worse than the horror that you do see. You say this, but. We also watched The Color Out of Space, and my dude, if I didn't see the fusion of mother and child, <laughs> I, 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 I would have never thought of something like that. So, it, I mean... But, I, I say that, and I also say, they probably could not get a baby. Like, that was probably just rags wrapped up in a rag, because... Oh, I, I don't So much it. of their props and sets and stuff, so much of it is just plain stuff that they found. There's one in one earlier episode where they get food from like a replicating machine. And I, I promise you, it mm-hmm. was just the key grips lunch. They're like, we need food and uh, I got a sandwich. We can put on a plate for you. Okay. That, that'll work. And are you okay? If Garth takes a couple bites of your sandwich? Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. I'm not union. So was there, was was there a hand that was holding the plate that stuck it out of the machine when it replicated? <laughs> no, the food it was too? behind a box, if I remember correctly. But <laughs> yeah. So here's the other thing I'm thinking. This is where they find the stockpile of weapons. What were they going to do with those tanks? <laughs> that was what I was tr- said I was going to come back to because, like, bro, you're inside a giant spaceship. You shoot a tank inside. Tell me what that's going to do to your O2 levels. <laughs> I mean, you, you, you want to talk about dooming the entirety of hu- the human race. There wasn't, there would not be room in the, in the hallways for them to travel in these tanks. Like this is. Well, and here, here's the thing though, back in the seven, like, cause I wasn't born until the early eighties. So I, I may be out of pocket, but it seems to me like back in the seventies, Information wasn't as readily available as it is now. So people had less of a grasp on higher scientific, higher scientific concepts. And so the idea of seeing these tanks and saying, Hey, if they shoot that tank in inside this spaceship, you're going to blow through the airlock and lose pressurization within this spaceship. I don't think that was a thought that would have occurred as readily back in 1974 or 1973 as it would now in 2023. Now, flip side of that, if you get a guy in an astronaut suit, which they have available on the ship, and you put a guy in one of those tanks in a suit like that, if you can get him through the airlock into a dome, just point that cannon up and shoot a hole in the dome, let everyone suffocate and die, and then just go back through the airlock. And Speaking of Battlefield Earth, (laughs) (laughs) yeah you're right you're right 
<laughs> this is the most I've talked about Battlefield Earth ever on podcast. And yeah. <laughs> you know, and I wasn't planning on talking about it for this because I didn't I didn't make the whole Battlefield Earth connection, but the more the more I'm sitting here thinking about that, I'm like, this has kind of a kind of a Battlefield Earth vibe to it. Like for me, it, it gave me more feels like uh Buck Rogers. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know. Or, um, and I know you're not, su- not such a weeb yourself, Ben, but like it, it gave me, it gave me feels for like the original 1979, uh, Gundam mobile suit Gundam, mm-hmm. uh, cartoon. Um, but like without the Gundams, like it, like this was just colony, like, like stories about the, co- that what was happening on the colonies during that time, uh, which really pairs well with the colony wars. I'm going to tell you because there's a whole colonies versus earth war that's happening in that series. So like inside my head, it's mental canon. Like these two universes are connected. (laughs) Well, let's get into act three. So Garth and Rachel are not dead. They didn't die. In fact, someone found them and brought them into the inner city again, where they are put in the infirmary and they're in healthy air and they're told that you're lucky. This was just your first exposure. You're fine. You're going to be fine. But after your first exposure, you're not going to recover as easily. It's going to get worse and worse every time. The... We're just going to throw the science part of science fiction out the window <laughs> and just go with fiction for that. Hey, you know. that That's not how science works. It's made as, up as solution a... for a made up problem. <laughs> I, I, as a health science major, sir, I can tell you none of that is how any of that works. Uh, there, there is no pollutant where she's like, it's not a big deal the first time, but the second time, that's how they get you. <laughs> so the nurse is reluctant to speak about what's going on because Mr. Smith has power. He hates disloyalty and he punishes disloyalty, but she has a plan. She turns on a very loud x-ray machine so that she can talk to Garth and Devin without Mr. Smith overhearing. And so they kind of talk, they plan, they plot a little bit. They can't find a way out. And how are they going to get out when Mr. Smith has been spending years trying to get out and failing and failing, but the computers, there are always computer terminals be near an Iris. If they can find that, then they can find the Iris. And then they're also going to rescue Trent. But by that time, the guards come. Mr. Smith is no fool. He knows there's some sort of plotting going on. So he takes all three of them, Rachel, Garth, and Devin. They confront Smith. There's people who are dying and suffering, people who could be saved out there. And this is Smith's speech. This is awesome. This is so 70s sci-fi. They're hardly people. They're making sacrifices for the nation. The healthy have to survive. And we're going to be the biggest suppliers in the galaxy. And Devin says, of what? Weapons? (laughs) And he's like, well, we're all for peaceful commerce. After the Ark's air filtration has taken care of our pollution. And then they find out that Trent has not been sent home, like Smith said. But she has been sent outside to the outer city to die. And another commercial break. Huzzah! All right. I'm hearing Nazi language for sure here. No, oh, But there's also 100%. a little bit of um, Cold War communism language being used here, too. Oh, like, yes. Yes, sir. So it, it just... The war that will never come. Yeah. Yeah. 
but they're still creating weapons for it. And yeah, all, although I think maybe Cold War was more the the justification was we do this because it's a war we hope will never come. And if we keep building up mm-hmm. and building up, then then no one's stupid enough to actually do this. But we're going to still build the stuff for it in case someone else is stupid enough. Right. It's better to have it and not need yeah. it than need it and not have yep. it. And then clearly, like his idea is we'll have peaceful commerce, but we're going to open up all of our doors that we can to the other, to the rest of the ship. So the rest of the ship can take care of our problem. Can get, so y'all can get a piece of this. Yeah. Yeah. The other filtration systems are going to make up for what our filtration system can't do because we've gone further than our filtration system can actually handle. And mm-hmm. it's, it's a good commentary. I mean, they're saying something here and it's still valid today. Like I, I'm sitting here watching this. I'm like, Ben, did you send me the right thing? Cause this is a <laughs> good show. Like if I had to sum this up in one, like in just in one solid description, I'd say this show is a very good idea executed poorly. The, the phrasing that Adam Collins on one of my earlier episodes used was there's so much premise, so much promise to the premise. It just never lives up to that. No. And it's like just knowing nothing about it and watching it. I'm like, I can get past the poor uh, film quality and the poor picture quality. Like this was, this felt like it was shot to VHS. It was shot on tape. tape Yeah. And it was overexposed too, by the way, I'm just putting that out there. Uh, It has a real overexposed. I think that some of that was on purpose though. I think like they actually, you could see that they're changing lighting and exposure and they're actually Mm -hmm. doing things like TV quality, cinematic things that they're trying to do in their limited sets. Cause it's a very small set that they had. And, but, and you can tell they're doing stuff with it. This is they're they're just doing more in this episode than I've seen. Now that some of that comes to the director, uh, which we'll talk about him. But the writer of this is Arthur Heineman. He wrote three episodes of Star Trek, but they are not the best ones. <laughs> <laughs> which makes sense why he's yeah, on this show. He wrote then. Wink of an Eye, and he wrote The Way to Eden, which is the hippie episode, and nice. he wrote The Savage Curtain. Uh, this this writer, okay. by the way, we might as well talk about him now. He also wrote for ABC After School Specials. He wrote 15 episodes of Little House on the Prairie and wrote for The Life and Times of Grizzly Adams, Swiss Family Robinson, the TV series. Uh, so this guy, I mean, he had a writing career into the 80s. You killed me with After, after School Special. <laughs> I haven't heard that <laughs> statement for so long. He did five episodes. Those those things were basically just like the more you know advertisements with a script. Here's the episodes he wrote. Very Good Friends. A Home Run for Love. The Woman Who Willed a Miracle. And I skipped one because it's called Gaucho. And Backwards. The Riddle of Dyslexia. So... 15 episodes of Little House on the Prairie. That's uh, for the first few seasons. He wrote at least uh, two episodes, maybe maybe more. CBS School Break Special. There's another one for you. Mm-hmm. 
So did he write any episodes of the Waltons? No. Ben, if he's got no Waltons cred, then I don't, <laughs> I'm, I'm not even interested. I mean, he, he did star Trek. <laughs> but, uh, so anyway, yeah. And, and the, uh, the director is Joseph Scanlon, who we've talked about before. We're going to talk about him again. He's directed multiple episodes of the star Lost, but he did go on to have a very, very long career and wrote multiple or directed multiple episodes of star Trek, next generation, quantum leap, outer limits, uh, he, he went on to have a career in, in television, earth final conflict, but we've talked about him before, so we're not going to spend too much time there with him. So here's the thing. You've got these, you got a, a experienced writer on one hand, you've got an experienced director on the other hand, they're going to pull things out of this. And one of the things they actually do is they pull emotion. They, they pull some emoting, <laughs> from our actors our main cast are actually doing some emoting i mean trent she's you bring her in and you're you're looking for a guest star who can do the part uh but your main cast they're in no matter what and you get what you get and i think they were able to pull mm-hmm. stuff out of them that you haven't really gotten much out of them before and but your, your supporting cast they're also giving a good performance and i believe that mr smith is a guy who just wants power, but also is willing to be very deceitful to try and get it. Like he's, he's doing a good job playing that part. So, Mm -hmm. all right. Well, act four, final act, they find some masks and go to rescue her in the outer city. They find her on the cart of the dead. (laughs) The guy's coming, bring out your dead, bring out your dead. Hey, do you have any dead? Because I'm only doing one one round today. Okay, no, we don't have any. But let's look under the blanket, shall we? And they look. It's Trent. Trent is on the cart. And all I can... Just happens to be on that yep. specific cart. And all I can think is, I'm not dead yet. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm feeling better. And she's laying there. I'm she's not happy. dead yet. They have a conversation with her. <laughs> She and then the guy pulling the cart gets upset that they take yeah, her you can't away. Do that. They like, shove nope, him nope. down. <laughs> She's going to die soon, but Garth picks her up and carries her. They bring her back into the inner city. They try and give her the mask, and she's like, "No, no, I'm not going to take that from you. You put your mask back on." They get back into the inner city, and they start having a discussion about, "Okay, so why is no one following us? Why is no one trying to follow us and trying to you know catch us?" And then they think, oh, no, no, we're being watched because they want to know how to get out. And they know we're going to try and get out. And there's a standoff. Mr. Smith comes with some soldiers and there's a standoff. Smith actually comes and has this conversation with Trent. That's really nice. There's a good conversation there. Where he's saying, you know, I, I, I genuinely think that that we we had feelings for each other, like friendship feelings for each other. And, you know, this should have gone differently. And um, and then he quotes Shakespeare. And I think this is the second time he quotes Shakespeare. He quotes Shakespeare and says, he misquotes Shakespeare. A thankless child is like a serpent to the bosom. Okay. I'm thinking of the other Shakespearean quote that he misquoted. Yeah. No, this one, this one's also a a misquote because the quote is from King Lear. My favorite Shakespearean play is King Lear. I love it in all its forms. I saw James Earl Jones on video once as Lear. Mm -hmm. Amazing. But then I also watched a live movie presentation of Ian McCullum as, as Lear, which was amazing. But the actual quote is how sharper than a serpent's tooth it is 
to have a thankless child. Eh, it's close. <laughs> the original quote he did was, all the world's a stage and all therein are critics. Everyone's a critic. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like no all the world's a stage and every and we are merely yeah, players yeah. And, but that goes to the lost civilization right that goes to right. like they have these traces of earth civilization but they don't know it you know anyway mm. <laughs> she's a thankless child is what I'm, what I'm trying to say she's a thankless child she's like a servant to his bosom so after Smith is done talking to Trent, Trent gives the, the trio a plan. And the trio's plan is this. Go around, open all the irises between the inner city and the outer city, and all the pollution from the outer city is going to come in, and you guys will have gas masks, and they won't. But you have to go and get all the gas masks. And so we actually have a firefight. And Rachel is firing a machine gun. This is where... All right. Like they are letting her do some stuff other than just kind of walk around, which up until this point, she's just kind of walking around with Garth. But she's actually got some action here. Garth has a machine gun. Devin is running around, opening the door, getting the the gas masks, all of them. And then they put them on and they go on the run and Smith's people can't handle it. They can't handle it. Uh, Trent dies of course, because we're not going to add a fourth character to our main cast if they leave this dome. Yeah. Why would you? Exactly. We have a winning, we have a winning combination with the three already. And so they're able to find the computer, but they can't find the Iris. Devin happens to have a key, uses his key on the computer and it opens a door and they go out the door and they close it. And the hope is that, you know, no one's followed them. They know that, but the hope is that uh, Mr. Smith is not going to find a way to follow them out through the door. And so this is what they leave the episode with, the promise of this. When we learn how to control that madman, we'll come back. And then Garth says, unless he finds a way out first. Setting up a season two episode with Mr. Smith. If they actually finish season one. Which they didn't do. That never happened. So there only there's only 16 <laughs> episodes of the show. Like the way you you started wrapping up that episode towards the end of that there, Ben. Like you just gave me some total like quantum leap vibes. <laughs> they're they're going from pod to pod, hoping that the next pod will lead them home. Yes, except they don't want to go home. Home was not great for them, and so yeah. But, well, no, I mean, see, that's the thing. Like it's the traveling do gooder, you know. And it's just, can you get a good and Quantum Leap is probably the best and most unique take on the traveling do-gooder with traveling through time and doing, you know, all the stuff that he does. There, there's That's just a fantastic show. The, the reboot, okay. But the original, that's one of the greatest TV shows of all time. So that's our episode, John. You finished watching it. The credits start rolling. Yeah. And I did. What are your thoughts? Uh-huh. What are you thinking? As the credits are rolling. Uh, I was thinking I liked that more than I think I was supposed to with what this show is supposed to be. Yeah. I, when I assigned this episode to you, I realized, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> like you're actually like fully had intentions of fully had intentions of like buying a copy. Like I want to see more. This was great. I don't understand what Ben was talking about, but the more Ben, the more you're talking about it, I'm like, 
I saw the good episode. And, and you did. Like, this was a good episode. This is an episode that tries to make commentary. It's an episode that has drama. It has action. It has pathos. It has uh, tragedy. A little bit of comedy. Not a lot of comedy. But, like, th- this This is a, a low-budget television show made by a few people who kind of know what they're doing and a few people who really know what they're doing. And because you have people who kind of mm-hmm. and people who really, you're getting somewhere in the middle there. Uh, but this one is, I think this is mm-hmm. A plus for the Star Lost and B minus for sci-fi television in general. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> I... I enjoyed myself. Like I said, I, I was excited to go back and rewatch this episode after I watched it the first time. Cause the way I watch it is I watch it the first time. Uh, I, I watched it a long time ago. And so most of the episodes, it is like I'm watching it for the first time again. When I watch it the first time, I don't take notes. I just watch. And then I have to watch mm-hmm. it a second time to take my notes, to get the plot summary and to get my thoughts together about this. And so I'm, I, there are some episodes where I will have, have to watch a third time because, and this one might be one where I end up watching a third time. If I do watch the movie compilation, because they did five syndicated movies for cable television in the eighties where they just took two episodes and plastered them together. I only have it on cassette. So I did hook up my VHS player and I turn it on in the background when I'm doing something else, just so I can kind of get an idea. How does this flow? Mm. But I'm not sitting in front of my television for 93 minutes. <laughs> totally engrossed by this thing. Right. But, um, right, right, yeah. Right, right. So your general impression is Ben gave me the wrong episode because it's actually pretty decent. <laughs> it's good. Yeah. Because I'm interested now. I'm, I'm curious. That's the thing. How is this bad? It's got a great promise or it's got a great premise. And mm-hmm. some of the episodes kind of live up to it. Some of them, they really don't. But there was a movie that um, had was it Dennis Quaid in it that that this reminds me of the premise of the show reminds me of where they're flying through space because Earth could no longer sustain life, so they sent out a colony of humans with a bunch of Earth plants and whatnot to start over. And then, like, Dennis Quaid goes mad because he thought that they overshot their marker and they had gone past knowable space when he when his pod wakes up. Do you know what the movie was called? I'm trying to remember. That's why I'm giving you the plot details, my dude, because I figured, <laughs> I figured you'd remember remember it. It's got one of the... It's a Pandorum? I think so. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, I have seen that. And there's a monster on the show. Monsters. Like there's a race of beings, which I I won't spoil this because this may be a, this may be a movie Ben and I might have to watch for uh, strangers and aliens in the future at some point. Yeah. I do remember watching it. It's from, uh, it says here it's from 2009. So I probably watched it around 2013. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. It's still 10 years ago, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about our our cast then. 
mm-hmm. because we have some connections here. Uh, Ed Ames, he played Mr. Smith, and he is a, a face that I'm trying to remember. Do I recognize him from watching the Star Lost the first time I watched the Star Lost? Or do I remember him from, from something else? And I honestly, I I don't think I do. Mm-hmm. But he was on in the heat of the night in the late 80s. This is a show. I love this show so much. I think it was only one season. He was on It's Gary Shandling's show. <laughs> I love HBO. that show so much. That's well no, no, this was on Fox. This is Oh you're you're thinking oh, of his, the other one. The the Larry the, yeah, the Larry Sanders show is what I was thinking. No, um, Gary Shandling plays Larry Sanders. Right, right, right. Is, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- this is the show that the theme song was. I'll never forget this. This is the theme to Gary's show, the opening theme to Gary's show. Gary called me up one day and asked me to write his theme song. I'm almost to the part where I begin to whistle. This is the theme of the Gary Shandling show. <laughs> it's just, and that's the humor of the show. Like the right. entire show. It's just, uh, there's one episode where he's trying to date a girl named um, Holly Wu, I think is what her name is. And they have a whole scene where he goes out to the Hollywood Hills and takes the D off. To, but it's like Jeez. it's on a it's on a studio like a, a sitcom studio set. And so, but he takes the D off and right. says, you know, and and they have a whole song and dance number. Hooray for Hollywood! <laughs> it's just <laughs> great show. Uh, he was on Murder She Wrote, um, The Star Lost, Daniel Boone, yeah, The Rifleman. My camera. I mean, but the thing is, I don't think I ever saw him on any of those shows. I think I know him because of just the previous time I watched, I watched the star loss, but well, I think supporting he was actor one of those faces. in a lot of different TV shows. Yeah. I was about to say, I think he's one of those faces that you just saw in things. Like he didn't have anything that you could say, Hey, it's that guy. Um, because I recognized him. I I'm like, I've seen this guy before. I couldn't tell you his name or where I recognize him from, but He's got that stereotypical 70s, 80s bit actor face that I've yeah. seen somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So the Bring Out Your Dead guy is named uh, Les Ruby. And Les Ruby has a long career in, uh, looks like Canadian television or American TV shows that filmed in Canada. So, like, he was on Friday the 13th, the series. And... I have the first season of that. <laughs> What a weird show, man. I don't I don't know why they called it Friday the 13th. It was the creator of uh Friday the fir- the 13th. So he owned the title and so he was able mm-hmm. to use that. And eventually at some point in the final episode, in the final they episode there the mask. They were planning to show that Jason's mask was in their museum, but mm-hmm. they never got there. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, he was, okay. So here's what's important. And this is not going to be important to you because you've not been listening to this show and you did not grow up in Canada, but I watched some Canadian television. Okay. Okay. Well, maybe, maybe you do know this. He is our littlest hobo connection. He was on the littlest hobo. Yeah. I don't know the littlest (laughs) hobo. So, so every episode of star loss, we have a connection with this, with, with the littlest hobo. He is one of our connections that we have. Pat Galloway played Trent and really deserves some kudos for what she did with her material. I think she did a, a, a decent job. 
And she does not have nearly as many credits as a lot of people, but um, her credits do go back into the 50s and don't end with the Star Lost, but come close to it. (laughs) (laughs) And then finally, we have the nurse, Doris Petrie. And Doris Petrie is our second Littlest Hobo connection. She is on the Littlest Hobo. But some other things of note, she's uh, she was on Tech War, uh, which was William Shatner's other sci-fi thing that he created. It was a book series that they turned into a TV series. And William Shatner being Canadian, uh, she was part of that. Uh, she was in Forever Night, which was filmed in Canada. Uh, she was on Avonlea, uh, Beachcombers. Friday the 13th, the series. I mean, she was just in a lot of looks like Canadian television that includes the star lost there in the middle. Or I guess actually toward the beginning. Looks like she started acting in 72. So this would have been second year for her. Well, there you go. So that is our cast and crew little notes. And now is the time in the show where if you have some thoughts about other shows that you've seen, other things that you've watched, that this reminds you of now is the time. Buck Rogers and mobile suit Gundam. I mean, really <laughs> when it comes down to it. And then of course, <clears throat> like I said, um, Pandorum, because mm-hmm. like that could, that, that, that movie in this show could be like a one-to-one almost like this. If Pandorum was actually a successful movie, they could like redo this TV show as a, uh, the TV show version of Pandorum entirely. And honestly, they could redo the show without redoing the show. That's the thing. People talk about this being, this is one of those things with a great premise that should be rebooted. It's not going to be rebooted. Mm -hmm. It was created by Harlan Ellison. His estate is not going to let them do that. And I don't even know where the rights reside as far as the production companies and everything like that. But you could do a general idea like this. And in fact, I want to do a generation ship uh, novel with my um, Ghosts of the Future universe that I created with uh, Mm. using those characters. And we'll see if I ever get around to it because writing a novel is hard and takes a long time. But maybe someday I'll be able to. Uh, speaking of, I'm reading right now a book called Generation Ship. It's a fairly new book. And mm-hmm. there are some elements here that there you can kind of see as far as like the power struggle and, and all that with between the two sides. Um, the miniatures, I was reminded of Logan's Run. Uh, Logan's Run when they're coming to the domed city and you just have the miniatures and the little tiny trains. And it looks like, mm-hmm. you know, Mr. Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. But uh, just not as good. And here's the here's the big thing that they needed to do. They needed to slow that footage down. If they want to create the illusion of size, that smoke was just shooting out. They needed to slow that footage down. The problem is that's easier said than done when you're talking about video versus film. Yes. Film, you can undercrank. I think it's undercranking that you're doing. And, yep. and digital, you have some you know, options as well, but when you're talking video tape, it's, it doesn't look as good. So, but that, that's one of the things they could have done. Um, and then there's just lots of science fiction things that I, that I thought about, but one of them was a doctor who 
episode that I just recently watched. I'm watching the Tom Baker era right now of Doctor Who when okay. I do my workouts. And so basically one workout, I get through about an episode and a half of Doctor Who, and then I'll finish watching the other half as I'm sitting there right. wheezing from being out of shape. But the episode is called, I think, The Sun Makers. And it takes place on Pluto, but it's basically this kind of uh, industrialism gone amok kind of a thing. And mm -hmm. it really reminded me, there's even an upper city and a lower city. And so I was reminded of that. And uh, then also Red Dwarf, which if you haven't watched it, people, you got to watch Red Dwarf. It's a generation ship story about one guy, the last guy on the ship, basically, the generations have gone by and everyone's died, but um, they had an episode, let's see, called Meltdown, which was actually uh, a little bit about a commentary on, on war and might've even been a little bit of a commentary on the Gulf War, but um, it's all of the robotic wax figures on a pleasure planet. Uh, they're all historical figures and they're in war against each other. And so you have Elvis Presley and the Pope and Marilyn Monroe on one side and a bunch of, you know, uh, Stan, uh, Laurel and Hardy are, are on the good guy side and then Adolf Hitler and a bunch of other people like that are on the bad guy side. And, uh, as you do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, but they're having, uh, it's not a cold war. Like they have a, it turns into a hot war and, but it's just, again, sci-fi is made to do this. It's made to make commentary on our world now by taking yeah. a look at it through the angle of this other stuff that's going on in this fictional world. And in the case of like the twilight zone and in the case of star Trek, the original series, they were able to get away with making shows about racism that they couldn't have done if it was just a, uh, just a drama, right? You right, know, right. because they're able to dress it up and it, it slips through <laughs> And, it's and, not about racism. It's about alienism. Yeah, it's about aliens. It's not about us. So, Those yeah. dirty, dirty aliens. But the other thing that this really made me think of, and I probably wouldn't have thought of it if I hadn't recently watched it within the last week. Soyant Green takes place in a world of pollution where the, just everyone is... Uh, all jammed together and they're dying and it's, it's awful. And of course it's got the famous line with Charlton Heston as he's running around and uh, soylent green is people. Yeah. Soylent green is people. And then Saturday night live did the awesome sketch where he's running around. Soylent red is made of soylent green, <laughs> but just the, the vibe, the pollution, the, the movie soylent green opens up with this photographs of, history going back into the early 1900s and and going then into the 2022 i think is when it takes place or 2023 is when the movie takes place but black and white photographs of fields farmers factories pollution smoke mm -hmm. and uh and then it ends on a really downer note because slant green i mean this is the spoiler for this 50 year old movie but Soylent Green is made out of people because they're running out of actual food. Like the oceans where they were getting the plankton to make Soylent Green is they're running out of plankton. And so they're taking people after they've passed away, after they've died, and they're just putting them into the factory and using them. 
So I mean, get it while it's hot, dude. What? <laughs> <laughs> I said, get it while it's hot, dude. And but the the funny thing was the look that you the look you had on your face when you turned and looked at the camera after <laughs> I said that for a moment looked like you heard what I said and exceedingly disapproved of my joke. No, it was, <laughs> I was like, it was oh, confusion I, that I, I could not hear your joke. So. <laughs> I was like, I stepped over Ben's line, and I have never done that before, and I I feel instantly. Well, bad and now I have to point. leave it in. I have to leave the pause <laughs> in there, and when I said what, because it's worth it now because of the whole follow up there. But well, um, see here, I made your editing job easier. Ben. You did. You're welcome. You did indeed. So, uh, three big themes that I that was definitely trying to deal with was the anti-war message, but, and the wartime manufacturing machine, manufacturing gone amok and gone wild. And then the value of human life is a big thing in this episode. And I think that's probably the biggest because of all the other stuff wraps up into that, but it just, this is a show that actually said something and an episode that actually said something big and in a better way than other shows. The other shows said things, definitely. Like there was themes going on and stuff, but I felt like this one was the most science fictiony theme of all of them. So I get that. Yeah. Oh, and one last thing. Printout paper with green lines on it. Yes. The not just the green lines, <laughs> yes. but the solid white, solid green, solid white, solid green. Uh and the the printer track dot matrix, yeah, dot matrix paper, but it's it's not eight and a half by eleven because you know at some point they realize well everyone wants eight and a half by eleven so we'll just make it so that it's all connected and it's perforated eight and a half by eleven but no these are the the big giant pieces of paper that she had like her thirteen inches wide yeah well maybe even more I don't remember but oh that took me back. That took me back. Now, it didn't take me back to 1973 because I wasn't born yet, but it took me back right. to the early 80s when the we had the dot matrix and you'd try and get, you know, you had the little peg holes. You had to put line up with the the little uh, perforated edges that had the, the, the holes on it. And yeah, yeah. And actually, I was a little bit surprised to see it in 1973, but there it was. It, it it was there. I, it's funny that you pointed out and it's like, oh yeah, like, but having been there when that was an actual thing, like my brain didn't even go like, hey, that's not normal. Like I watched <laughs> it and be like, yeah, that, that fits for the time. And I just kept going. So, yeah. All right. Well, that's our episode then, John. And this is the point when I would say, hey, tell us, and I'm going to pin you down now for this. Are you going to continue to watch? the star lost because there are a number of episodes before a handful of episodes after. Are you going to continue to watch? I'm concerned about the fact that I may have watched the good episode. <laughs> and the more that I have talked to you about that, the more I'm concerned that that is in fact, what has happened in this instance, like coming into this episode, coming in, to the show based off of this episode alone, I was like full on. Yes, this is fantastic. I understand that the acting was subpar and it was shot to VHS. Uh, so the visuals are kind of trash, but outside of, outside of it looking like a grindhouse movie, it's, uh, I, I was, I was, I felt invested in the plot, but now hearing you talk about some of the other episodes, I'm like, I 
don't know. Here's here's the so, thing. I'll I'll say this. Like I said, this is an A plus star list star lost episode. There are a couple other episodes that I would put in the A range of the star lost. Problem is mm-hmm. if you're putting that up against like good sci-fi star trek for example you're looking at we're talking c level as far as grading my thing is is like the visuals and the poor acting that's not a that's not a deal breaker for me like like the cheapness of it i guess for lack of better words is part of the charm like how Mm -hmm. the trash is part of the charm but I mean, I, my, my biggest concern is like, if they're, if the rest of the episodes are all below this, like if this is as good as it gets, then I don't like, I assumed I got an average episode and like the majority of the episodes were like this. No. So no. I, 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 so with that in mind to give you a direct answer to your question, if you invite me back to the show, yes, I would gladly watch more episodes. <laughs> But to do it voluntarily with my spare time, I don't know if I feel so motivated just based off of that concept of if it's not like this, I don't know that I would because I feel like I got a bait and switch situation. All right. That's fair. That's fair. Okay. So the next question is. Where can people find you online? We talked about what podcast you had. Um, I'm assuming mm-hmm. playing game with strangers is just playing games with strangers.com. Com. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's and good. And pretty much, pretty much everything else I do, you can find over at geekdevotions.com. I do a lot of stuff with Dallas and Celeste over there. And the bottom shelf podcast, which is the movie podcast we're talking about. And, and that's right. Right. Where we that's all that. through. That's all through geek devotions okay. as well. Perfect. All right, John, thank you so much for spending time with me. Thank you so much for spending time with our listeners and mm-hmm. uh, listeners. Don't forget. You can go to buymeacoffee.com slash up from the ashes or patreon.com slash up from the ashes podcast. Both those places you can support the podcast. Uh, and if you support the podcast there, which we greatly appreciate anyone who does so, uh, cause podcasting can be cheap, but it ain't free. But if you do that, you will get bonus episodes about Star Trek, the animated series, which is also 50 years old this year. And so, again, I would just invite you to go there and you don't have to listen to those. If you don't care about Star Trek, the animated series, you don't have to listen to the podcast. But no, you just made me feel really old, bro. (laughs) By saying it's 50 years old. But if you want to support this podcast, if you like what you're hearing and want to just go and drop a one-time gift, buy me a tea, Earl Grey, hot. Or if you want to uh, support the podcast in a more long-term way, we would greatly appreciate it. But even if you don't, I just appreciate you listening. And so until next time, as you are making your travels from dome to dome, in the metaphorical arc ship of life, I want to wish you Godspeed.